Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. You can find this passage on page 869 in the Red Bibles under your chair. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. morning. My name is Mike. Kids, welcome. I always love it when you're here. It's awesome to be able to worship all together in the same room. Today we continue in our Gospel in Life series. That's a video that we showed the first week, um, sort of explaining the, the core message of the Christian faith, the announcement of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And basically what we're doing this summer is we're, we're just walking through some different topics and sort of showing the way that the Gospel the nuts and bolts of how we live. So let's just jump right to, to today's topic. I'd like to put a quote up on the board. It comes from a 2013 Boston Globe column. So this was written by a doctor in Massachusetts. Her name is Dr. Susan Coven. And basically what she was reporting on, she was reporting on some things that she was seeing with her patients on a, on a really regular basis. She writes this. In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts. Patient after patient, suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it's easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. So let's do a quick survey. Raise your hand if you feel busy. So a fair number of us. So raise your hand also if you feel more busy now than you did like three to five years ago. As you saw, I have three kids, so my hand's definitely going to go up. Um, So that's actually a lot of what the American experience has been. Over the past couple decades, Americans have been reporting that they feel busier than ever. That life just seems to never slow down. It's hard to find peace of mind. Many of us feel like there's constantly something demanding our attention. And a lot of times the, the thing that we think is standing between us and happiness is just simply time. We feel like we're impoverished for time. And, and so we, we, we really have the sense that if we could just get a regular, predictable rhythm of rest into our lives, and we start to feel better. And actually, in some ways, it's probably true. In 2010, Johns Hopkins University did a study on, on busyness and, and on what they were calling habitual stress. Habitual stress. And what they found is that 
when, when we create this sort of environment for ourselves where, where there's constant demand on our time, what ends up actually happening on the level of just brain chemistry, this chemical called cortisol that ends up being released on a really low level in our brains. Cortisol is the chemical that gets released to like push you toward a fight or flight response. So like when danger is, is made known to you, cortisol gets released. And what it basically does is it, it's, it's this chemical that signals, okay, stop smelling the roses, stop enjoying the conversation you're in the middle of, don't daydream, don't think, don't think big thoughts, don't, don't enjoy the person you're with. All that needs to go to the side, it's survival. It's for this reason that when you're stressed, it's really hard to think of anything other than the thing you're stressed about. Much of that is, is sort of a response to our brains just producing cortisol. And cortisol can be so useful. Like when you're in a moment of, of really urgent financial crisis and quick decisions need to be made, cortisol is really useful. It's also really useful if you are fighting a tiger. At that point, then cortisol, it's not time to be thinking big thoughts. It's time to fight the tiger. And so the cortisol comes into our minds to help us do that. The issue is that we're, we're having this low level of cortisol while we're watching television, while we're trying to get to sleep after an average day at work. We're feeling it as we drive our car from here to church. And yet there's nothing life-endangeringly dangerous, urgent happening. It's just sort of this, this thing that's in the air, this feeling that we have. And much of it is because of the reality that there actually is a constant demand on our time. Now, here's the big twist. So we're feeling the stress, all this pressure on our time, but here's the twist. On average, Americans have actually never been less busy. In over 100 years, Americans have never been less busy than they are right now. At least when it comes to, to work, there's obviously exceptions like single parents or parents with lots of young kids or high-level business, business executives, stuff like that. But overall, we spend less hours working than we ever have. And even for, for, for parents who are at home, studies have actually shown that the tasks required to keep up a home have gone down like 35% over the last 100 years. So in terms of what it requires to survive, we are less busy than we've ever been. And so why is it that we feel so busy? And basically what a lot of folks are, are, are thinking is going on, what they think is that our sense of busyness, it's not coming from outside of us. So when they're doing this research, they're asking people about what, what it requires to, for their work, essentially. And, and work, again, defined the way that Everett defined it last week as including more than just what gets you your paycheck. So from all our work, most of us are, are working, sustaining our lives, keeping up a home. That's taking less time. We're not in one of those situations, at least most of us aren't in, in the situation my grandpa was in, where he was working three jobs just to make ends meet. So our busyness isn't coming from outside of us. Instead, we're actually imposing it on ourselves. We're putting it on ourselves. Now, there's two causes for this that they've been able to identify, and we're only going to talk about one of them today. A big one that, that more and more researchers are, are looking into is the reality of, of mass media, the way that social media, television, just this huge technological shift that we've gone through over the past few years, that actually creates an illusion of busyness, but we're not going to talk about that at all this 
morning because we're actually going to devote an, a, a service to mass media in the Gospel and Life series later in the summer. In fact, we'll be interviewing Kristen Gumminger, and she's been doing a lot of research on this. It'll be awesome. Definitely come to that one. So, but today we're going to just be talking about this, this thing that we do where we add items to the to-do list beyond what we have to and beyond what we should. It could be a lot of things that we're adding on, after-school activities, church activities, errands that we schedule every day, chores that we're endlessly pushing up the to-do list. It could be all sorts of things, oftentimes very good things. But what we end up doing is we pack our schedules full and we remove all the margin that we can. Now, why would we choose to do that? Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you're in a season of life and it's unavoidable. Sometimes it happens because we're procrastinating. But, but a lot of times we're actually just choosing it. So why would we create what these researchers are calling habitual stress? I think it comes down to this. We misplace our identity and so we misspend our time. We misplace our identity and so we misspend our time. I wonder if deep down, we actually are making ourselves busy because busyness gives us a sense of purpose. If I'm constantly doing something, then it must mean I'm constantly needed. It must mean that I'm important, that my time is is wanted from other people. It means I'm useful. I'm not a waste of space. Look around. What would people do without me? So we're finding a purpose in the way that we, we spend our time. In fact, some, some research has actually show, you know, examined just little tiny things about the, what we do where you know, folks will ask us how we are and we'll respond with, oh, I'm very, very busy. And, and inside we get this little flutter of importance, of self-importance. Well, I'm very, very busy. And what we're implicitly communicating is that like, my time is important and it's in very high demand, Right? If we're needed, if we're productive, then we're worth something. And the reason comes back to uh, something we've talked a lot about, which is that in our culture, we measure our worth by how useful we are, by how productive we feel. We measure our worth by our usefulness. One of our greatest fears is the fear of being like obsolete or un- unneeded. We're, we're, and so we become uncomfortable with stillness, uncomfortable with rest, because both of those things feel useless. And we just continue to build this habit of urgency, of stress. We misplace our identity, and so we misspend our time. And it's into this kind of a culture that God reminds us that we are made for more than our to-do list. Our purpose is bigger than just to be busy. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take the two parts of that first statement, the the misplacing our identity and then the misspending of our time. And we're going to see how the gospel applies to each and like we've talked about, the gospel is, is both cross and crown. It's both cross and kingdom. And it's interesting, to the, first, to the first of our problems, the cross speaks. To the second of our problems, the kingdom speaks. And so let's begin with, with the first problem. Problem number one, we misplace our identity. And the response of the gospel, because of the cross, what we do doesn't decide who we are. So today's passage, we've got Jesus making one of many pilgrimages that he would have made to Jerusalem. This was a common thing that, that Jewish families did in the first century. They would be dispersed all, all over the, the Greco-Roman world, but multiple times a year they would make the trek 
into Judea to, to Jerusalem to celebrate different, different feasts. And it seems like Jesus made a habit of, of often stopping in at the town of Bethany and visiting this family that he was very close to. It was three siblings that would, that would share a home together. It was Mary, Martha, and then they, they also had a brother who doesn't factor into to this story. Today we just have our two, the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they're both followers of Jesus. They host him when he's in town. And so you've got to imagine kind of what that would be like to, to have Jesus over for dinner. Like, locally, he's gaining a ton of fame. He's famous for wielding supernatural power. I don't even imagine, I can't even imagine what that would be, be like to host somebody who has that reputation. Like, so they're, they're bringing over the miracle worker, the teacher, the, the, what people think is Messiah, Jesus. So they probably cleaned the bathroom I'm guessing. I would. Anyway, so they, they have Jesus over, and, and Martha does exactly what I think most of us would do. She, she gets busy. She wants to be the kind of person that Jesus would approve of, and so the pressure's on, and so she's running all over the place. She wants Jesus to recognize that she's useful, that she's doing what she should be doing, and, and she believes that if she works hard to serve Jesus, then he'll be pleased. Right? Just as simple as that, that he'll, he'll be pleased. But she notices something. Her, her sister, Mary, isn't joining in. And maybe you've had this experience, too, where you're working hard at home or, you know, serving different people, or, or maybe it's at work, you're, you really have a good work ethic, and then you notice that there's this other person who just totally is not doing anything, Right? And that can be frustrating, and that's, and that's legitimate. But when we take it to a, another level, we take it to this level of, like, resentment, right? And we sort of start getting, like, a martyr complex. Like, woe is me that this person's persecuting me by not doing what, what I'm doing. And then we, we sometimes get a superiority complex. Like, man, they're just worthless. They're worthless. And we'll use that kind of language, which is disturbing. And I wonder if Martha is feeling some of that toward Mary, because she gets resentful, right? She, she, she's even frustrated at Jesus. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister is not serving? Lord, don't you notice the work I'm doing? Don't you think my sister should be working too? Shouldn't she be busy? Doesn't my busyness mean anything? And Jesus' response is just to say, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. You're worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing right now is urgent. Mary has chosen the good portion. Mary understood something that Martha didn't. Mary understood something that we have a really, really hard time internalizing because all of us have been led to believe that what we are doing is who we are. How is it that Mary was able to just sit at the feet of Christ? No anxiety. She isn't troubled or worried that there's like something else she should be doing. She's not trying to complete the checklist. Everything has been set aside. So how was she able to, to get that place? How is that possible? I think it's possible because of grace. Our busyness can be motivated by a lot of different things other than just legitimate demands on our time, right? So sometimes we're busy because we're trying to avoid silence. 
Because silence has a funny way of getting us to notice the ugly parts of ourselves. Sometimes we're busy to establish our worth, to make ourselves feel like we're, we're worth something. And so if we're being productive, then I'm useful, therefore I'm worth something. Sometimes we're busy to earn opportunity, because if we, if we have the most opportunity, then, then we'll be the most happy, right? And then sometimes we're actually busy because on a deep psychological level, we're afraid of the fact that we're growing older, that all of us are aging, and that we're so afraid of this moment where we look back and we're afraid that, that we'll have that moment and have regrets. And so we end up filling up our time with events and travel and special outings and fun, whatever, because we think that in order for our lives to be full, they must be full of sensation. And so we become busy because really we're, we've uh, got a fear of missing out. But whatever our motivation is, it seems like so much of our busyness happens because deep down we know that we are not enough. Deep down we feel that if we don't do something, then we will never be something. And in a certain sense, that's actually true. To be who we are meant to be, to be able to appreciate the value that we have as a human being, to just be who we were meant to be. Something needs to be done about what the Christian faith calls sin. A deep inner reality within every single human being. And that's exactly where the cross comes in. The cross, is, the cross announces three things to us. That we have value, that we have a problem, and that we have hope. The cross says that we have incredible value. You were made for more than your production value. You were made to participate in the life of God. You were made to be a living, breathing reflection of who God is and to actually partner with him and to to be friends with your maker. And you have so much value that God would become one of us and die for you because you have value as a human being. The cross also tells you that you have a problem. And it's a serious enough problem that you can't actually do anything to fix it on your own or even with just supplemental help. The whole task needs to be taken over, hijacked, right? You have a problem that is deep enough that God himself has to address it, and you can't contribute anything to the work. Jesus had to accomplish it for you on the cross, which is why the cross also announces that you have hope, that everything standing between you and God has been resolved in Jesus, that there's Nothing extra that you can add to that. There's nothing supplemental that you need to do. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are made right with your maker. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and in chapter 11, Jesus gives this teaching, and he could be talking to any one of us overworked, harassed, busy Americans. He says this. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What's he talking about? He's talking about the way that all of us are are burdened in the deepest part of ourselves. On this deep psychological level, all of us are burdened with this feeling that we need to fix ourselves. And, And that reality is a taskmaster. But Jesus is saying that in the cross, by the grace of God, 
Everything that needs to be done is done. So he says, learn from me. And learning from me, you aren't motivated by shame. You aren't motivated by guilt. Instead, it's, he's, he's crafted this situation where we become motivated by gratitude. Into our busyness, Jesus offers us rest. Into our schedules, Jesus offers us rest. Your worth, your identity is precious, and you can't do anything to make it so. You are valuable because God made you in his image, and that value is unthreatened because of the cross. Jesus is making us whole. We didn't start it. We can't finish it. And so we can live our lives as people who have nothing to prove. So let's get to the nuts and bolts. How does this actually affect your time? So I'll just apply this to, to one situation because it's a family Sunday. We're all here together, so I want to speak to, to parents and, and to kids. So I'll be speaking as a parent, obviously, but, but kids, you can find yourself in this too, I'm sure. So as a parent, you, you want to give your kids the most opportunity in life, right? You want them to be happy. You want them to be whole and so you do everything you can to make that possible. And a lot of times, the way that we, we do that as parents is we, we pad their college application. We fill their time with after-school activities. We, we push them to excel, sometimes to a really unhealthy degree. Sometimes it's just that we just want them to be able to look back on their childhood and feel like it was full of amazing things. And so the way that we try to take responsibility for that is we we sort of schedule amazing things, <laughs> right? So we just fill their schedule with, with really fun things. But, it, but it, what ends up happening is we create a lot of demand on our kids' time. From the other angle, and kids, you're going to be able to relate to this. Many elementary schools, middle schools, certainly high schools, in our area in particular, are also putting demands on your time because they also have something to prove. They want to be able to report that their students are untouchably awesome. And so they push you to excel. And they're very unforgiving, oftentimes, refusing to work with, with you, whatever. There are more demands on our kids' time than ever from, from both angles, from the angle of the home and the angle of the school. So what's, what's actually happening is that our kids have less, less time And in particular, there's less unstructured time. Unstructured time in your developmental years is key. It's indispensable. But what's happening in our culture right now is our children are getting all their unstructured time just narrowed down to this really meager margin. And so there's no time to play. There's no time to to daydream. There's no time to just like, like I did a lot when I was a kid, get full on lost in the woods for three hours and just like do not, like pretend sticks or swords. I don't know what I was doing back there, but it was crazy and it was great for me. It was really good developmentally. There's there's less time even to pray. There's less unstructured time. And so without that time, what's, what's actually happening right now is it's becoming really, really difficult for kids to develop mentally. And remember what Johns Hopkins discovered about demands on time and cortisol. What's basically happening, the reason why it's so difficult to to develop mentally for our kids is that they're growing up in like a low-level crisis reality where their mind is, is urging them to like bail water, right? Don't daydream. Don't stop to smell the waters. Get things done. 
And as a result, this is actually one of the, the main things that, that you know, folks explain. So, like, to explain the depression, the anxiety that's going up, this is one of the big things that they're, they refer to. Suicide is going up wildly among preteens because our culture is sick. Our culture's quest to give our children a meaningful life may be the very thing that's making their lives so empty. What we do with our time matters. But what would change about our homes if we believed that we were made for God and that God had given himself to us in Christ? What would change if we believed the greatest thing for our children is that they work and rest unto the Lord? What if we lived as people who are resting in the grace of Christ? What if we really believed that because of his sacrifice, we are not what we do? Don't misplace your identity. Because of the cross, what you do doesn't decide who you are. So at this point, many, many of you may be asking, so, so what? Like what the gospel basically does is it makes me lazy, right? It just, so I don't do anything? No after school? Like is that, is the way of, the, of Jesus just laziness? Like binge watching Netflix, just potato chip crumbs on your shirt? I mean, is that seriously human flourishing? No. The answer is no. The gospel doesn't eliminate activity, but it repurposes it. It guides it. So like I said, because of the cross, what we do doesn't decide who we are. But now because of the kingdom, who we are decides what we do. So the scene with Mary and Martha, we shouldn't interpret the scene as like, oh, hey, Martha's active, Mary's passive. That wouldn't be the way to to interpret the scene. It's not like Martha's doing something, Mary's doing nothing. I'll say it one more way. It's not that Martha has purpose, and in Jesus, we have no purpose. The problem is that Martha has misplaced her purpose, and so she's misspending her time. Mary is different. It's not like Mary thinks household work is unimportant. She will certainly return to the chores. It's not like Mary is never going to wash another dish. It's that the chores aren't her priority. The chores don't come first. Jesus does. Mary has a purpose very much. So it's interesting the posture that Mary takes here. John is really careful to let us know that she's sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his teaching. That, that phrase, sit at the feet, listen to the teaching, that's how you describe a disciple. And I won't talk for the moment or dwell on the moment on how countercultural this little moment is between Jesus and Mary because uh, women were not allowed to be disciples for the average rabbi. So in the middle of all this, just keep in mind that Jesus is also, you know, overturning giant societal structures, but that's neither here nor there. The point is that Mary is actually doing something. It's, it's, John wants us to see that Mary is a disciple. From Martha's perspective, Mary is being lazy. From Jesus' perspective, Mary is being a disciple. The gospel doesn't eliminate our purpose. It restores our purpose. We were made for more than our production value. We were made for the glory of God and the life of the world. And so we are being invited to live like it. In Matthew 6, again, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be for a little while yet after the summer, but we went through the Sermon on the Mount about a year ago. 
So this is a, a, a passage that's probably familiar to many of us. It's Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Jesus is talking to people much like us, people who are busy, who are anxious, who are worried about lots of different things. And he goes through this whole section. This is what he says. He says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory, he wasn't arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles look after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then here's the clincher. So this whole thing urging us to not be anxious. Remember, it all started with him saying, you are more than food. You are more than necessity. You live for more than survival. And so what is it that we live for? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We were made for more than just necessity. We were made to be a living glimpse of God's reign wherever we go. And so we seek the kingdom. So wherever you are in life, seek the kingdom. Live like God is your king, not your to-do list. Live like God is your king, not your future college application. And it's actually for this, this reason that we as a church, we're not a program-heavy church. Because we don't, you know, as, as staff and, and elders and deacons, like, we don't see ourselves as here to, to pad a schedule. We see our, ourselves as here to, to facilitate the equipping of God's people, the bringing together of his people into a community of self-giving love, and, and to, to be here to, to facilitate zealous worship and a mission into Lake County. And so if you guys don't have any time to be together, to worship God, to, to be human, and, and, and nor do you have any time to, to be a witness to the kingdom in this community, because you're so busy with church stuff— then I mean, that just doesn't even make sense. And so we as a, you know, we as a church, we're, we're not a program-heavy church because we believe that the best thing for all of our discipleship might actually be margin. It might actually be margin in our time. I think if we're going to let who we are in Christ decide our schedule, then it's going to mean that our schedule, schedules are going to include some intentional, strategic margin. How can we love others well if we have no time to waste on them? Waste on them. How can we learn to pray if we are never alone in silence? How can we leap to helping someone if we aren't building in time to be available? How can we be spontaneously hospitable if we have no time to share a meal? Seeking the kingdom with our time doesn't mean we waste our time. It means that we repurpose it. In one of the, the articles I read, the author was describing how he's been trying to relate to busyness and how he would, he would often describe himself as busy. But slowly over time, he started to sort of 
changed what he was using his time on. It stopped being about tasks, and it started, this guy wasn't a Christian, so for him, God wasn't included, but it was, you know, just people and relationships. And over time, what he found is he didn't want to use the word busy to describe himself anymore. And so he said, I don't live a busy life, but I do live a full one. Much of his time was still taken up, but it was taken up in meaning, in other people. And, and so we as, as believers, I think, have just as much, if we, have, we have more access to that as a result of having, having access to God himself. Because of the gospel, we are freed to rest and free to pursue our purpose. So let's get down to nuts and bolts. So I think the starting place for, for most of us, and I'll just, I guess, talk about how Ashley and I were interacting with this before our whole world got, got turned upside down by someone named Lucy. Um, so the way that we were trying to do, be intentional about this, and again, total you know, uh, work in progress. We are not competent at this, but I'll just kind of share what was helpful. <clears throat> um, Basically, it, it requires taking this inventory of time where we sort of ask, like, what, what needs to be done to survive, right? So that's work hours, time raising the kids up until bedtime, sleeping, you know, just doing things that, that will, like, keep your human functioning going on, right? And keep a roof over your head. So that's, that's baseline. And then on top of that, inst- like, our instinct is always to, all right, so that's our baseline. Now we have all this free time. Let's pack in as much as we can all across the schedule, and it'll be tasks and errands and, and different things, sometimes really good things like people. And, but what if we stopped at that baseline, and the next question we asked is, where will I be alone with God on a daily basis? Where will I be alone with God on a daily basis? That could just be 15 minutes, maybe early morning night. So God becomes the center of the priority, and you begin to craft a schedule around him. Where will we open up our home on on a regular basis for hospitality? Where will we pour into people in our lives and pour into friendships? And then once we've identified some of those things, then we start to stir in the after-school activities and, and whatever, but we do it so that at the end of it all, we've still got space for people, for God, and for solitude. Now, some of us here are in a situation where busyness is not an option. Maybe you've got a bunch of really young kids. Or maybe you are in a situation like my grandpa was for most of his life, working multiple jobs. And there is, I mean, what margin you have is minimal, minimal, minimal. If you're in that situation, then I, I just encourage you to embrace rest wherever it comes, but also to lean into God's people. Invite others to come alongside you in your struggles, support you, replenish you. We are meant to live like we are made for God and his kingdom. So we want to support each other in that. An image that, that helps me with this is, is the image of the Sabbath. You know, for the, the ancient Hebrews, they had this one day a week where they'd, they'd work hard, They'd work their tails off all week long, and then suddenly it would all sort of come to the Sabbath, and everything would just stop. You'd have this one day devoted entirely to God and to other people. And, and they would do things like, like cook a roast the day before so that it would last, or like make challah bread, and like different things that they wouldn't even have to cook, right? Because that day was meant to be for worship and for community. And what it ended up doing is it taught them something. 
It taught them that they were not made for the work week, that they were not made for their labor. They were made for God. So in the middle of it all, they have this sort of sanctuary in time. That's what Abraham Heschel called it. And so I, that, that's an image that, that is powerful to me. I'm not made for my labors. I'm made for the glory of God and the life of the world. So that's what I encourage you to do this week to apply the gospel. I encourage you to, to build rest into your schedule. And maybe you won't be able to do it this week. Maybe it'll be something that's sort of a month out. But I, I encourage you to, to take a look at your schedules, take an inventory, and believe the gospel in such a way that it starts to change the way you interact with time. But I also encourage you to, to think about this. When you do rest, and we're going to talk about this more later in the summer, but when you do get to that moment of rest, don't use it on TV or mass media. You can look up articles to tell you why, but I encourage you not to do that. It won't be as restful. Put your phone in like a safe inside a bigger safe inside a bank that's like in a blown out section of some war-torn country miles away and then rest. So devote time to God and to people. Create a sanctuary in time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that through the gospel, you have invited us into a rest that's way deeper than anything that we will actually experience. Even if we do craft our schedules perfectly, we know that we still live in a world that's full of suffering and full of impermanence and full of, of transience and change and hurt. And so, Lord, we, we know that by the gospel, you are, you are bringing about an even greater rest, and that's the rest of the new creation. So I pray, God, that whatever we do with our time, that we would li live as people who, who are, are living not for our labor and not for the weekend, but that we would live for God and live for your kingdom and look forward to the day when you make all things new in Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us into that by your grace and not by our busyness. Amen.